0: Good morning. All right, if you'll turn in your Bibles, if you have yours with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we've been in a series uh, called A Church in Crises. And our sixth crisis is what the Corinthians church experienced that of an absence of love. Our aim is really going to be what Paul finished up with when he wrote to the Corinthians church in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, uh, basically when he said that the main thing is all about love. And he wanted them more than anything else was to love one another. But also in John chapter 17, Jesus, when he's wrapping up his ministry on this planet, he prayed for us. He prayed that we would love one another like He loves the Father, and the Father loved the Son. Last week, when Barry was taking us through chapter 12, he talked about spiritual gifts. And Paul wanted the the folks to know that, that spiritual gifts are the way that we edify the body, the way that we demonstrate love, but they had a pretty large problem when it came to how they used their gifts. They had really two problems. One was some were puffed up over their gifts. They were proud of them. And some of them felt very lowly or insignificant because of their uh, gifts that they perhaps didn't really appreciate. And so the mark of all of that was to use the gifts, but to use them in love. And so that's why Paul brings it full circle and says, I have a more excellent way. And that is to use your gifts from love. When Pastor Barry was talking last week, he, uh, yeah, it reminded me of a story when I was a child a a Christmas, a particular Christmas, when I got the greatest gift ever. It was a air pop gun. It was actually a rifle. And basically all it was was you pumped it a couple times, you pointed that rifle, and it shot a a thrust of air. Not sure why those aren't around anymore. Maybe there's a safety hazard to all that. But uh, I, as a seven-year-old boy, found that safety hazard. I took that rifle, and I loved doing this. I was so proud of that gift, by the way. It was the best gift of the whole family. And I took, took that, and I learned that if you took that rifle, and you put it in the right consistency of mud just so deep, and you pulled that up and pumped it a couple of times, boom, the mud went splattering, sides of houses, windows, trees. My brother, my sisters, whatever. It was a blast, a blast, no pun intended there, having that gun. But what was interesting about that Christmas is I loved the gift when I was opening it up. I was proud of it until I looked over at my brother Clark and saw that my mom and dad were rolling out a red rider bike. And in that instant I'm thinking, wait a minute. Do they love him better? Do they like him more? I want that gift. And I was envious of my brother. So, in the very moments of receiving a gift that was given by my mom and dad out of love, I loved the gift, I was proud of my gift, but then I envied the gift that went to my brother because I was a child. And that's how it is. And that's really a lot of what's going on with the church in Corinth. I also got to thinking about the body because that's the metaphor that's used in chapter 12 as well. And we are, as a body, a church, and I did a little Google look on the body and the way that the body protects itself. And I began to uh, drop down some things that had to do with our immune system and also autoimmune disease. Now i want to read this to you. The immune system is a complex network of organs, cells, and proteins that defends the body against infection while protecting the body's own cells. The immune system keeps a record of every germ that's microbe it has ever defeated so that it can recognize and destroy the microbe quickly if it enters the body again. Autoimmune diseases are conditions in which your immune system mistakenly damages healthy cells in your body. Types include rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, and some thyroid conditions. Your immune system usually protects you from diseases and infections. When it senses these pathogens, it creates specific cells to target foreign cells. Usually your immune system can tell the difference between foreign cells and your cells. But if you have an autoimmune disease, your immune system mistakes parts of your body such as your joints or skin as foreign. It releases proteins called auto-antibodies that attack healthy cells. Caused me to think of Galatians chapter uh, 5. When Paul's writing to the church of Galatians, he's basically saying you need to be spirit-filled believers and you need to demonstrate love towards one another. But he was really concerned about how they were behaving towards one another with this absence of love. And he says this in chapter 5, verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Be concern. He gives a new commandment later on and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But love was absent. It was missing in the church at Corinth. It was Jonathan Swift, the author of Gulliver's Travels, who said, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. The Bible's clearest and simplest description of God, and therefore God's own description of himself, is that God is love. So when you get to chapter 13, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's an oasis in the desert. We see the proper way to distribute our gifts, it's the proper attitudes, it's the proper atmosphere and motivation, and that is that of a more excellent way, and it's of love. So our central point this morning is this, the truly healthy church is one which the gifts are operating from a heart of spirit-filled love. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, it's where Paul begins to talk about the spiritual gifts. And Barry mentioned last week that in a, in a couple of months, he's going to be taking us through a series called Juicy, so we'll understand and grow in our understanding of how to, how to walk in the Spirit. But without the fruit of the Spirit, what happens when we use our gifts is we use them in the flesh, and if we use them in the flesh, they become counterfeit. They become counterproductive. But through the spirit, God gives light to those gifts and gives love through those gifts and it becomes the very motivation in how we serve one another through the gifts God has given to us. Agape love is, it's a, it was a very, um, in the ancient manuscripts, it was a very uh, rarely used word until you look in the New Testament and agape became a very frequently used word. It's much like our culture. When we think of love, we think of eros, which is an attraction or a sexual love. Or we think of phileo, which is a brotherly kind love. And they're all very, very feeling based and they're very, very real. It's built into our emotions. But agape love is not that. Agape love is a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that's thinking of the benefit of others, not so much about how I feel. The temperature in which we make decisions and the temperature in which we deal with people is not based upon feeling, it's based upon an agape love that's self-sacrificing and is concerned more about others than ourselves. This love is so absolute for the Christian and the Christian life Jesus refers to it and he talks to his disciples about the vitality of that and the necessity of that in John chapter 13 uh, he says this a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved for one for another so Jesus commands this of his disciples so Christians really as believers, we have no excuse for not loving this way. Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5 5 talks about. Now, we don't have the capacity to love this way if we're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Because this is the love that is poured into our hearts that reflects the very Godhead himself. This happens when we become a follower of Jesus Christ and begin to mature in our walk and our relationship with him by faith. If you're in this, in this room and, and, and you've been coming to church for a while or maybe this is your first time and you've heard the term gospel or you've heard born again or you've heard saved or relationship with God, that's what we're talking about here. When Jesus Christ left the perfection of heaven, came to this planet, gave his life, he lived a sinful, life, sinless life, gave his life as a ransom, as a payment for my sin. He rose victorious over sin and death. And those that place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they call upon him and say, God, I am a sinner. I need you to forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you with my life. And you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are then born again. You are saved, become a new creation, you started a new life in a life with Christ and you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. Something that happens when, that, when you respond to that is that the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in you and that Holy Spirit then guides you, teaches you, illuminates God's word, allows you to grow in this relationship that you now have as a child of God. You could be sitting in here this morning or you could go home this afternoon or tonight and you begin to pillow your head and you're thinking, I need to do that. And you call out to God by faith to save you. That would be awesome. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are therefore told to pursue love in 1 Corinthians 14.1. We're told to put on love in Colossians chapter 3, to increase and abound in love in 1 Thessalonians. We are to be sincere, that is, pure in our love, Peter says. We are to be unified in love in Philippians chapter 2, fervent in love, Peter says again, and then we are to stimulate one another in this kind of love in Hebrews. This is our aim. So from our text, we see first. That love, if you're taking notes, love really is pure gold. Paul wants them to see that their gifts are great and their gifts from him, but what really matters and what trumps it all is love. So look with me at our text in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love I gain nothing. Paul is simply using hyperbole. He's using language that that illustrates the point with extreme imaginations. He's saying that If I had the ability to speak with such eloquence and I could use angelic language or any language and I could woo people with my speech, that is zero if it's without love. He talks about the gift of prophecy, whether it's foretelling or foretelling. It's a gift given by God, but if it's done without love, it's empty. It's worth nothing. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, he had this incredible ministry. He was a good prophet. He was a prophet with a heart of gold. He was one that had love for the people. And, and God told him, he said, Jeremiah, you're going to preach a message that people are not going to want to hear. They're not going to respond. It's going to be a message of repentance and of judgment. And they're going to blow you off and they're going to b- blow me off. But I want you to keep preaching and preaching and preaching. And it broke his heart. Because he knew from the beginning and all the way through all of his preaching that no one was going to respond in saving faith. What's said of Jeremiah, and he begins to just express his heart in Jeremiah nine one. He says, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain people of the daughter of my people. That was Jeremiah the prophet, the prophet who was known as the weeping prophet, was also the one with a broken heart, a loving heart, a heart of gold. But knowledge, as we move through the text, without love is worse really than mere ignorance because it produces snobbery, pride, arrogance. It's a Pharisaic ugliness. But spiritual knowledge is good, beautiful, and fruitful in the Lord's work when it is held in humility and spiritual love we could have all faith as to remove mountains this referring to the gift of faith where we could pray and we could trust and incredible things happen and people go wow I want you praying for me because when you pray that happens but even that when it's distributed and met with a lack of love it becomes nothing the prophet Jonah, he had the gift of prophecy. He was a prophet. He had the gift of faith. When God approached Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach a message of repentance to that whole city, what was his response? I don't want them to be saved. But his also his response was, God, I know. I know that if I tell them what you're telling me to tell them, they're going to respond in saving faith. They're going to repent. He knew that. He had all faith. Of course, he shot down to Tarshish. He ran away. God brought his judgment on him. He ended up becoming puke on the side of the shore. And he finally said, okay, God, I'll go. He goes back. He preaches in in Nineveh. And the whole city responds in repentance. But then, how did he respond? He didn't respond with, wow, they're saved. They've, they've come to Christ or they've become believers. or following after God. No, his response in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 was this. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed <laughs> to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to, haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew... <laughs> that you are a gracious God and, a merc- and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster now you have this disobedient prophet that was greatly used of God that was clearly marked with an absence of love so faith has to move mountains without love becomes a big fat zero giving we have the gift of giving and it's done out of a legalistic obligation or desire for recognition or praise or, or to solve a, a, a guilty conscience it's worthless only love qualifies giving to be spiritual it's an act of worship when persecution entered to this early church it became really intense and some believers were actually seeking out martyrdom as a way to become famous or gaining special heavenly credit. But when sacrifice is motivated by self-interest and pride, it loses its spiritual value. Even when agonizing death for for the faith happens, if it's done with selfish motives, it is worth nothing. But with true divine love, it's a beautiful thing to see, and that's what we saw with Stephen, which we'll reference a little bit later. But ministry without love cheapens both ministry and those who are touched by it. But ministry with love enriches the whole church. This brand of love is pure gold. And then we have love is absolute goodness is our second thing in your notes. And I, I was debating on is love absolute goodness or absolute greatness? Because it's really both. But I kept thinking about what, what James said that every good gift comes from above. This goodness is from a good God. The purpose of spiritual gifts as we've already said is to edify the body. We're given these gifts to edify the church. This means that we're not thinking of ourselves but of others and so in order to do so properly it demands that we love and it's agape love that's active, it's not passive, it's not abstract it actually does. In other words we don't think patient thoughts, we do patient acts. We don't think kind ideas towards people. We actually do kind deeds. So it's a doing. It's an action. It's a love that actually does things rather than just simply um, passively thinks about those. So now we're going to look at the portion of this this, uh, chapter that describes love. And there are 50, or 50, I'm glad there's not 50. We'd be here for a long time. There are 15 descriptors that we'll be going through here in just a few moments of what love looks like. Let's look at them. Verse four, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. First one is love is patient. Love practices being patient, or it's it's basically long-suffering, literally long-tempered. You've got a long fuse. Not naturally. Naturally, we don't. But when there's God-given, Holy Spirit-filled love, yes, it's a long fuse. The word is common in the New Testament and is exclusively referring to patience with people, not circumstances or events. Um, It really does picture God well. When Peter was being pressed with, when's God gonna come? When's God gonna come? Didn't you say he was gonna come? God's... God's not slack concerning his promises. He's just not willing that uh, any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He's giving time. But on the day of judgment, it will happen, but he is resting that out so that we and all will respond to saving faith that will. Um, Abraham Lincoln, one of his uh, political enemies was Edwin M. Stanton, who mocked Lincoln, who slandered him, who opposed him on almost every front. And Lincoln never responded in in response, in defensive uh, actions. But when Lincoln needed to select a secretary of war, he chose Stanton. And um, uh, Lincoln's incredulous friends basically said, why did you do that? And Lincoln responded with, he's the best man for the job. Well, when Lincoln was assassinated and he was lying in the coffin... Stanton looked into the coffin and he said through tears, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. Lincoln's animosity, or uh, Stanton's animosity was finally broken by Lincoln's long-suffering, non-retaliatory spirit. Patient love won out. And then we have love is kind. Just as patience will take anything from others, kindness will give anything to others even to its enemies. To be kind means to be useful, serving, and gracious. It is active goodwill. It not only feels generous, it is generous, it not only desires uh, the welfare of others, it acts upon those, it works toward it. It's what uh, is referred to when, when Paul writes to Titus in chapter three, and he says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God uh, of, our, uh, of, of our savior appeared he saved us not because of works uh, done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our savior this is kind love love is not jealous or envious jealousy says I want that then says, I wish you didn't have it. That's not love. The Corinthians were spiritual show-offs. So when we see that love does not brag, they were braggarts. When the loving person himself is successful, he does not boast. He does not brag. C.S. Lewis calling bragging this, the utmost evil. It is the epitome of pride, which is the root of sins, says C.S. Lewis. Only the love that comes from Jesus Christ can save us from the flaunting and knowledge of our abilities and the gifts and our accomplishments, real or imagined. And then the fifth one is love is not arrogant. The Christian believers uh, thought that they had arrived at perfection. Uh, We looked at this a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Paul says this to them I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefits brothers that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor one against another some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you you know isn't it interesting how we behave differently when we're around those that we know love us I did not want to let my mom and dad see how I felt about my brother's red rider. But if they were showing up, I would change my behavior. Paul's saying, you guys are acting as if I don't know about all of this. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. This is the sixth. This principle has to do with poor manners, acting rudely. It doesn't care enough for those that they're around to be respectful. When you're being disrespectful, you're not acknowledging someone that's acknowledging you when you blow them off, really what we're communicating is I'm better than you. I'm better than you. That's not love. Love does not insist on its own way. Here is probably the key to everything. The root of evil has fallen upon human nature because we know this, because we are always wanting our own way. R.C.H. Linsky, the well-known Bible commentary, said this. Cure selfishness, and you have just replanted the Garden of Eden. Love is not irritable. We're on number eight. This is translated provoked. This, uh, to be provoked, and, and this is so key. Uh, if you're a parent in this room, this, this is where you just want to be praying, God, fill me with your spirit, that I would respond in love. And that I would not become easily irritable. And when I feel irritable, Holy Spirit come in and really take dominance in my heart and in my mind. Because sudden outburst is what this is referring to. Love guards against being irritated or upset or angered by things that are even done to it. It's not easily provoked. Now, what the Apostle Paul is not saying is that A righteous indignation is set aside. We know the difference. The difference is is when we're concerned about wrongdoing against another person or danger is coming and we rise up quickly to protect, to defend, we'll rise our voices to do that. Or if the word of God or God is being blasphemed and we step in and say no, no, no. That's righteous indignation. But we know the difference is when we feel like we're being slandered or we're being mocked or it has to do with me, me, me and I don't want my reputation messed up and I get anger about that. That's being provoked, easily provoked. That's not love. Love is not resentful. That's the ninth. With, uh, the word is logizomai. that has to do with taking an account. It's a book te- bookkeeping term that means to calculate or to reckon It's like I'm keeping track or they're keeping track, but love washes all that out. Love is not resentful. Um, I'm seeing that we won't have the scripture up. It it all went blank up there. And so uh, we're going to be not referring to some of those this morning. And number 10, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Love never takes satisfaction from sin, whether it's your own or someone else. When we brag about sin or we brag about someone else's sin or we laugh about that, it means that we're justifying it or agreeing with it. This is what was going on um, uh, when the prophet Isaiah was talking with a group to a group of people, the nation, and they basically were taking the wrong and making it right, and taking the right and making it wrong. And when Isaiah uh, re- refers to that, he says, and we got our scripture back, he says in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's not love. Love rejoices in truth. And that's where we're at next on number 11. Love rejoices with the truth. He is speaking of God's truth. When we hear his word, we rejoice in that, whether it's a a message of clarity, of correction, or admonition, or one of affirmation and praise in which we love to agree with. But love rejoices with the truth. And then 12, love bears all things. To bear basically means to cover or support and therefore protect. It's protecting others from exposure, ridicule, or harm. Genuine love does not gossip or listen to gossip. Even when the sin is certain, love tries to correct it with the least possible hurt and harm to the guilty person. Love never protects sin, but it is anxious to protect the sinner. Love warns, corrects, exhorts, it rebukes, and disciplines. But love does not desire to expose or broadcast failures or wrongs. Thirteen, love believes all things. It's not cynical or suspicious first. I struggle with this one. What am I, and, and let me just, this is that whole spiritual gifts And using them in love. And here's where I struggle. One of my spiritual gifts is discernment. And I'm 63 years old. I've seen a lot of life. And with that, you almost can calculate and see what's coming by certain behaviors, actions, patterns. And what comes behind that? Cynical. When someone says they're going to do this or do that and you see the past behavior was not at all that and discernment kicks in, You become cynical or suspicious. But love believes all things. When it throws its mantle over wrong, it also believes in the best outcome for the one that has done the wrong. That the wrong will be confessed and forgiven and the Lord will restore the one to righteousness. It's the Galatians 1. You who are spiritual go in the spirit of meekness seeking to restore them. To righteousness, It's a desire for restoration. Love believes all things. Number 14, love hopes all things. Even when belief in a loved one's goodness or repentance is shattered, love still hopes. When it runs out of faith, it holds on to hope. As long as God's grace is operative, human failure is never final. And then the last one, love endures all things. This term was a military term that basically meant hold your ground through all difficulties. Every hardship and every suffering was to be endured and you are to hold fast. So love holds fast for those it loves. It endures all things at all costs. Love will not stop loving. I reference Stephen. Stephen was one who loved his kinsmen, his people, He preached the truth. He demonstrated the truth. He had a message that was really a message of judgment upon them and their forefathers. But when they looked upon him, they saw him as one who had the face of an angel. But when you looked upon them and what was described of them as they were gritting their teeth with anger and resentment and they wanted him dead and their wish was fulfilled, they took him out, they took stones, and they stoned him to death. And while they were doing so, what were his words? Lord, hold not this Send to their account. He loved them to the end. And then lastly, in your notes, love is forever. And this is the last portion of, of our chapter. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Love is forever. The theme of this final section is that love never fails. Throughout all eternity, love will never end. It lasts. For all their many failures, the, the Corinthians failed most grossly at their absence of love. Just as the presence of love covers a multitude of sin, the lack of love causes a multitude of sins. Love cannot fail because it. Shares in God's nature and eternity. When He talks about as a child, he's really referring to what, when what perfect comes, I believe this is the new heaven and new earth, we're going to understand love perfectly. But right now we're working at it. The love that we're able to dispense is good and we want to pursue it and grow in it. But it will never be perfect until what perfect comes, comes. But the reality of love is that It's eternal. Love will be forever, but faith will no longer need to exist when we're in the new heaven and new earth because we will be with them. Even hope will no longer need to exist because we will be with them. But the one link that we have from eternity, present, past, and eternity future is love, and that's why, for one of the as one of the reasons, it's the greatest. So, how do we pursue this love? It's going to give five quick things. First, admit that it's a command. If I want to grow in love, I need to admit that it's a command. God tells me to love it is the great commandment. Two, know that you've been empowered to love. The Holy Spirit came in. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we've also been prayed for by Jesus Christ. So we have been empowered to love. Three, realize that it is the mark of believers. How will people know that we are His? We will be like him because we love like him. It is our identity, it is our mark. Four, yield to the Holy Spirit within you. The Holy Spirit is what does the, the 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 energizing. The Holy Spirit is what leads us. So yield to the Holy Spirit. We're prompted to do this action. We're prompted to say this thing. Do it. Take that action that Agape love. And then five, exercise Agape love daily. It's not about hoping someday I will but it's now I will do. Exercise it daily, it'll become more natural. My brother's red rider bike was stolen one day. It broke his heart, and I was surprised how much it broke mine when I thought of the memories, the fun that we had on that bike together, and how much it broke his heart and how much it broke my heart, was actually a pretty cool thing. My mom and dad got to see Some maturing love when there was a care for a brother. If we do these things, we will truly be a healthy church. One of the gifts that we have, or whatever multiple gifts that you have, when you operate it out of a heart of spiritual love, it will edify the body. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the privilege of becoming your children. I do pray, Lord Jesus, that as you have dispensed the gifts to us in love, that we would demonstrate those out to the body through love. We pray these things in your name. Amen.